0: We just ask that you just bless this time in your word. And Lord, I pray that um, there, there's so much here that we can learn from. And, and I do pray that as we come into this sanctuary at, um, in the evening times, uh, sometimes we're a little tired and, and uh, we've had a long day. And just so help us to just be attentive to the things that you would have us to hear and, and take heart and to learn tonight. And so, Lord, um, we just thank you again that we can open up your word and glean from it and, and be blessed by it. And so, um, again, just be with us and teach in us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've started First Samuel, of course, by way of just a real quick review because it's been a couple weeks since we've been in 1 Samuel. Last week we had our Thanksgiving Eve service. But we saw that it was um, Eli, who is the high priest there at Shiloh, that, uh, would meet a woman named Hannah. And it's the days of the judges, as we see here at the beginning of 1 Samuel, the days of the judges are going to come to an end here shortly, but it is still a dark time in the nation. Matter of fact, as we read in verse 1 of chapter 3, now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And the reason that the word of the Lord was rare in these days is because it's still the days of the judges. And we all know that that was a day and a period where the children of Israel were in rebellion against the Lord. And they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And so the word of the Lord was not sought. People did not want to hear the word of the Lord. So when we read this in verse 1, it just reflects the hearts of the people and, of course, we've discussed about how I think that we see that more in the day in which we are living in. And just as the people were turning away from the Lord and, and going in their own direction, they, they were coming up with their own understanding, uh, doing what was right in their own eyes, we see more and more of that even in our own day, in our own society, and in our own nation. And we need to be ones that we need to continually be praying for a nation. We need to be praying, uh, Lord, that I need to share truth with others. And even though we see that this was a dark time at this time in in 1 Samuel chapter 3, we have seen God is still working, isn't he? God still has his remnant of people that love him, that are devoted to him. We saw that in the book of Ruth with Boaz and Ruth and and how God was working in that situation. A a beautiful story that took place in the days of the judges. And now we see here in the first couple chapters of 1 Samuel that there's this woman, Hannah, devoted to the Lord. And she was pouring out her heart to the Lord because she hadn't had any children. And as she did, she made a promise to the Lord, a vow to the Lord, that if you give me a child, I will dedicate him to you, Lord. I'll lend him to you. And, of course, she would bear a son, Samuel. And Samuel was lent to the Lord as, as he would then be given to Eli to be raised up there in the tabernacle for the service of the Lord. And parents, again, I know that I perhaps... May sound a little bit redundant in this, but I think it's so important for us to remind each other and and to encourage each other in this. But how important it is in the days in which we're living in that as we see that more people are turning away from the Lord and even the church at large, there's a diminishing of the Word of God, where the Word of God in, in some circles of Christianity you can say the same thing, that the, the, the Word of the Lord is very rare in the days in which we are living in, in, in certain circles. But we need to be ones that understand that God is still working, and God still desires to, to use those whose hearts are loyal towards Him. And I hope that we are ones that understand the importance that we're ministering to our children and that we're praying for them and that we fully dedicate them to the Lord and are dedicated in our hearts and raising them up in the ways of the Lord and Hannah did that and we don't know what the Lord can do with our children and I believe he wants to do amazing things and we hear the statistics and we read the statistics and and we we read the books that, that others are putting out warning us about how we're losing a generation of our young people in the church, and it's true. But God still has a remnant of those who love him. And he has a remnant of those young people that, that he desires to use mightily in the days in which we're living in, very perilous times, very very special days, I believe, in which we can be used of the Lord. And you see Samuel here, he's about 12 years old at this time in First Samuel chapter 3. And the Lord's going to come and speak to him. And then he's going to be used, of course, as the prophet in the land. He's going to be used as the leader in Israel. And we're going to see that Samuel's going to lead the children of Israel from a very dark time to the, a time where the best... Days in their history are ahead for them. And you see, I believe that the Lord desires to use our children as well in a very, very important way, in a very, very um, amazing way. And bringing light to those around them. And being a blessing to those who are linked to them. To, to, to be strong in the Word of God. To give truth to others. And to be used in the service of the Lord. So we want to continually just be praying for our children, continually just asking the Lord help us and and for us here at Calvary Chapel as well to minister to these young ones that are in the back rooms and upstairs. That Lord, we know that you desire to use them in this day And how you're going to use them is to help them get grounded in the Word of God and to have devotion for you and to grow in their personal relationship with you. So here is the boy Samuel. As as he's there at Shiloh, as we saw in the first two chapters, and, and he's being raised in the tabernacle, and God's going to use him. And it's the days of the judges. But even though the Word of the Lord was rare in those days, we're going to see that the Lord is going to fill Samuel with his Word and uh, with his revelation in verse 2. And it came to pass at that time while Eli was laying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. And so he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. And he went and laid down. And so here is... Um, towards the evening time and apparently here is Eli and Samuel who is there at the tabernacle and they're going to lie down there at the tabernacle it's it's evening where the menorah the light of the menorah is going to begin to go out Eli is an elderly man matter of fact we're going to see in chapter 4 that he's 98 years old uh, when we go to the next chapter. His, he can't see. His eyes are dimmed. And, and so here are the lights going out in the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, in the holy place, when you went in, of course, on the left-hand side was the 7 branch golden menorah. And those seven branches each had bowls on top of them, and they had oil in those bowls and then wicks that were floating around. And the duty of the priest was to make sure that those bowls you know, were filled up in the evening, in the morning, because it would be after a day that the, the oil would run out and the lights would go out. So here the oil's beginning to run out and the lights are dim and they're ready to go to bed. And as they are, as they're resting there, all of a sudden here is Samuel that hears the voice of the Lord. And this is a new experience for him. And and he really hadn't heard the voice of the Lord. I believe it's an audible voice. So he naturally thinks it's Eli. So he goes running in and he says, here I am. You know, one of the things, again, as we talk about our children, but not just our children, as as they're growing in the Lord, as we pray for them, and I believe that God wants to use them as they continue to grow, but for anybody who's young in the Lord and, and for all of us, that it's very important that we recognize the voice of the Lord, isn't it? And I know for me, one of the ways that, of course, that we recognize the Lord speaking to us is primarily through his word, but he also desires to speak to us through the Holy Spirit in that still small voice. And again, I know that I've told this story to you before, but one of the things that I've talked to the kids about is in that story of 1 Kings chapter 18, when Elijah was there on Mount Carmel and he he made that challenge to the prophets of Baal and and so it was Elijah that would call down fire from heaven and consume the sacrifice and the wood of the sacrifice that he had made to show that the God did the true and the living God was the true God not the God of Baal and so he would slew the prophets of Baal and it was a great victory for for Elijah but then it would be as you move into chapter 19 that Jezebel who was the wife of the king of Israel, made a threat against Elijah and said, I'm going to lop your head off, and it's going to happen by tomorrow. So Elijah was very much afraid, and he took off from the northern part of the country all the way down to the mountain of God, which is in Arabia. And so on his way, he would stop there in the desert by Beersheba, and, and he's laying there, and he's discouraged, he's afraid, he's depressed. And the angel comes to Elijah and says, Elijah, rise and meet, for the journey is long. And Elijah would. And then when Elijah was there at the mountain of God, he was in that cave there. And there was a mighty wind that the Lord sent, and it would break the rocks up, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. There was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. There was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. But he would hear the still small voice of the Lord as the Lord would say to Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah thought that he was the only one left in the whole land. Lord, everybody has forsaken you except for me. And it was the Lord that told Elijah, No, I still have some servants. I haven't bound the knee to, to Baal. I got some things for you to do. It's important that in our lives... And especially as I tell the young people, if the Lord tarries, the journey's long. You've got a lot of time ahead of you. And as you are journeying through life, it's very important that you recognize the still small, small voice of the Lord. And how important that is, especially in the day in which we're living in, because there's a lot of voices out there, isn't there? There's all kinds of voices out there in the world to confuse them, to mix them up, to... to, 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 to to just uh, corrupt them and they need to recognize the still small voice of the Lord. Those who are young in the Lord, they need to recognize the still small voice of the Lord and, and sometimes they don't always recognize that and here is Samuel he's, this is a new experience and he's going to recognize the voice of the Lord and we need to help our young people and those who are young in the Lord along, those of us who are more grounded in the word and you guys, as, as I look out, I see you're the ones that are coming and you're learning and you're growing in God's word. Help those who perhaps don't know the word as much as they could or should or knew the Christianity or are young people. Help them to recognize the still small voice of the Lord and the Lord speaking them, to them through the word of God. Encourage them in that. And so here is Samuel, he, he hears the voice of the Lord, and, and Eli says, you know what, you, you need to go back, lie down again. And so we read again in verse 6, and the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. I just wonder if, you know, Eli starting to get a little bit irritated at this time, because here Samuel wakes him up again. Any of us have kids, we've had kids come into your room, I'm sure, when they're smaller and wake you up and then you get them to bed and all of a sudden they come back again and they wake you up once again. And so how you can be kind of frustrating. And so here is, is Eli saying, I didn't call you, go lie down again. I'd love to hear the tone of his voice when he said that. But we read again in in verse 7, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went to lay down in his place. Now the third time that he comes in, You know, Eli realizes something is up. Kind of like if we have kids that come in and they keep coming in. I know something's going on. Either they're not feeling well or something's taking place. And that's what Samuel did. He he realizes maybe the Lord's speaking to him. You need to go and you need to lie down and be still. And if he speaks to you, then you need to say, for your servant hears as we read there in verse 9. There's a couple of things that I think that is very important here. I don't know exactly what the tone of, of Samuel was as or Eli as Samuel came in and kept waking him up if he was getting impatient. But I do know one thing that the Lord was being patient, and the Lord kept coming back to Samuel and speaking to him. And I am so thankful that the Lord is patient with me, because I know that sometimes I got so many distractions or. You know, there's the busyness of, of life and of ministry that the Lord has to keep speaking to me over and over again. And that's the way it can be with any of us. We get busy during the day, and we have a lot of things to distract us. We have cell phones and, and, and computers, and we have the TV, and we have work, and we have all kinds of things that it gets very, very busy. And it needs to be something that, that we keep a priority in our lives, in that we go and be still before the Lord so we can hear his voice and I can't emphasize that enough and there are sometimes seasons in our lives that we go through we end up extremely busy and this is sometimes one of those seasons Christmas season where there's extra things to be done and and maybe work projects need to be finished up school stuff that needs to be done all kinds of activities and things like that so i want to encourage you here tonight that make sure that you're spending that time alone with the lord and i know for me in my life that when my day begins that once i get up and, and at a certain time i know that phones gonna start ringing and once it does that there's all kinds of of busyness that happens in my life and that's why it's very important that i take that time at the end of the day Or I take that time in the beginning of the day, when it is quiet, to hear the voice of the Lord, to be still before Him. And I'll be real honest with you, it was a challenge this last week in doing that. It was a real challenge because it was very, very long days that I was experiencing in this last week. And I realized that it was important for me, even though I was exhausted, I was burnt out, even though... um, you know, it was stressful that I got up and I spent that time with the Lord and I can't express to you how that helped me to get through the week that I had last week and to be able to minister to those that I needed to minister in this last week. And that's why I'm encouraging you that you do the same. And sometimes we need to expend a little bit of energy and make an effort in doing that, but you get away where it's quiet consistently, daily, to hear the voice of the Lord and to be close to Him and to start your day with Him. Because once that day starts and the noise starts, it, it doesn't quiet down till, till later on and it's very difficult at that time. So go lie down. And, and, and one of the things that he's told to do is when the Lord speaks to you, say, Lord, your servant hears. Lord, your servant hears. And that's my prayer, that as we hear the Lord, as we desire to hear His voice, and as we take in the Word of God into our hearts, that we would say, Lord, here I am, a servant. That whatever it is that you say, I desire to just obey in that, to walk in obedience, to be open to it, to take heed to it. And that's what a servant does. A servant does what the Master tells him to do. And every time that we go to the Lord in our devotion to him and staying close to him, that that we would be ones that would say, Lord, I'm your servant. Just as Paul, as he would begin many of those letters in the New Testament, how did he address the Christians? He said, Paul, the apostle, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. And a servant will do what the master tells him to do and instructs him to do. A servant is ready to listen to the master. Always there. Always there ready to serve, ready to do. And I pray that's what our hearts is as we go to the Lord. Lord, what is it that you would have me to hear from you today? Lord, what is it that you would have me to do today? I, I need my marching orders. I want direction from you today. And maybe the Lord will lay some things on your heart that you never even thought of. Maybe he wants you to talk to somebody that, that you know, he puts on your heart or to write a note or to make a phone call or whatever it might be, and you'll be amazed. That's what makes Christianity really exciting, is that we go to the Lord and being a servant of the Lord, just saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? And you will see how the doors will open up to minister to people as you just have that heart. I want to hear your voice, be quiet before you. Lord, lead me, help me to be sensitive to hearing your still small voice as I go through my day. To be, to be ones that learn how to do that, and you'll be amazed how the Lord will open up doors for you to be able to minister to others. So here is the Lord going to come to Samuel. He's speaking to him, verse 10, and the Lord came and stood and called as at other times. And so the Lord is continuing to come to Samuel, saying, Samuel, Samuel, the Lord is so patient, isn't he? And I'm so thankful for that as we see that. Samuel, Samuel, Samuel answers, Speak for your servant hears. And then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears, it will tingle. And in that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. And so he tells Samuel that the judgment that has already been spoken to Eli, as we saw in the previous chapter, that the prophet came to Eli and said, Eli, judgment's coming, and your arms are going to be cut off, your family, and your sons are going to die in one day. We're going to see that in the next chapter, in chapter 4. And so this judgment pronounced, because as we saw in chapter 2, it was the sons of Eli, they were priests, ministering there at the tabernacle. They were very corrupt and wicked. They were committing immorality. They were ripping the people off, to where it abhorred, you know, the people abhorred bringing their offering and sacrifice. In other words, they didn't want to do it. They didn't want to come to the tabernacle, to Shiloh, to the feast, and give their (laughs) offerings because they knew that Eli's sons were just going to rip them off, and they did in the sacrifices. They were ones that threatened the people. They said, if you complain about it, we're going to beat you up. And they were ones that were committing immorality. And so, here is Eli, even though he spoke to his sons about it, he did not do anything about it. He did not discipline them. So the Lord said, You've, you know, because you did not honor me, Eli, judgment is going to come. And again, it stresses to us how important it is that those of us that are given responsibilities in our homes, that we take that responsibility very serious. That God has commissioned us to be parents and discipline in our children, that we do that. And dads and husbands, the responsibility is given to you, that you have to your wife and to your children as the head. We need to take that very, very serious. And we need to, to take serious raising our children in the ways of the Lord and, and bringing discipline to them when time comes and it's not always easy is it but the Lord held Eli responsible for what was going on in his home and there at the tabernacle with the sons and he didn't do anything about it and so this judgment is going to come to them in verse 15 so Samuel lay down till morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision then Eli called Samuel and said Samuel my son He answered here I am And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God, do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Then Samuel, verse 18, told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is good. Let him do what seems good to him. So here is the next day. It is Eli. He understands that the Lord has been speaking to Samuel. He knows that. So as they begin their day, as they open up the tabernacle for ministry, it is Eli that comes. And he says, you know what, Samuel? What did the Lord say? Tell me everything. Don't hide anything from me. And it was Samuel that told Eli everything that had happened. Sometimes when people are interested in knowing about the things of the Lord or the Bible, what about Christianity, and they want to know. And we can tell them very wonderful things, but sometimes we have to tell them about difficult things as well. We have to tell them that those who reject Jesus Christ, that there is going to be judgment that's going to come. And I always, you know, love to talk about the love of Christ and the grace of Jesus Christ. That's where I begin, and that's what I love to teach and preach and share with people. But there's also a time that comes that we have to share with people truth out of love for them and concern that there is going to be judgment that will come for those who reject Jesus Christ. And those who believe that there's other ways to heaven, that there's other gods to worship that will get you to heaven, there's other means of forgiveness, other ways to, to, you know, become righteous, there's only one way, and that is faith through Jesus Christ. And to, to be ones that we love people enough, that even though a difficult message might be that if you reject Jesus Christ, judgment will come, If you reject the sacrifice that he made for you, the judgment will come. And that's not always easy, is it? Sometimes we have to give a message to those who are in rebellion or, you know, uh, going in a direction in sin. Maybe a brother or sister that they need to repent. We need to bring correction to them. We need to bring rebuke to them. That's not always easy. But you see, I hope that we always understand that we love people by giving them the truth of what God's word has to say. Always for a desire for them to turn to the Lord. Because it's the Lord's will that none should perish, but all come into repentance. And that we would share with others that perhaps need to be corrected, that we would do that out of love in a desire to see restoration and repentance that comes into their lives. So here is... This message that he gives, and, and it's interesting, in verse 19, here the, uh, the, the, the message that, um, that is going to be given, uh, or the response of Samuel, uh, or um, in verse 18, excuse me, as Samuel was told uh, Eli everything, here's the response of Eli. He said, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. I do find that in verse 18 an interesting response. And there's a lot of speculation of how he was saying that. What was his mindset? What was his heart? Some suggest that in verse 18, as as Eli said, well, judgment's coming to my sons. Judgment's coming to, to my family because I didn't deal with my sons. And he's humbling himself. It's the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. And perhaps he was humbling himself. And in a way saying, righteous and true are your judgments, Lord. Righteous and true are your decisions. And we talked a little bit about that in our Daniel study. That the day is going to come when we all go to heaven. When we're going to be saying, righteous and true are your judgments, Lord. Righteous and true are your decisions, O oh Lord. So maybe he was humbling himself, and he had that harder mindset. Some was, suggest that his attitude here is kind of, oh well. Lord, do what you want to do. Some have suggested he was even glad that judgment was going to happen. So we don't know what his mindset, his heart was. If it was kind of a ho-hum or if it was kind of I'm glad judgment is going to come on my sons for what they have done or, or whether he's humbling himself, but we can't know what our response is to those who are lost. And I pray that our hearts would be one of humbling ourselves before the Lord with a real concern and real compassion for those who are lost, who don't know the Lord. And I hope that we never get into that place of, oh well, so they're not saved. No big deal. You know, don't really ever think about it. Or maybe we can even come into the mindset or the heart of, well, this certain group or this individual, that I hope judgment comes to them. And I know that there can be situations and there can be difficulties and in a relationship with others or people that perhaps hurt you very very much that you think I hope judgment comes to them David would pray those prayers Lord you know break out their teeth but what I hope is we would always be ones that we would look and see people the way that the Lord sees them there's a story in Mark's Gospel chapter 8 it's a very short little vignette and and it speaks about a man there in the Galilee region that came to Jesus he was blind and he asked for healing and so Jesus took him out of town where they were alone and Jesus would touch his eyes and ask can you see and the man said well I, I see men as trees walking he he was kind of blurry in his vision so Jesus touched him again and he could see all things very very clearly Now it's interesting, Uh, I've heard some teachings on that, I've read some commentaries, there are those who say, and ask, you know, did Jesus goof in that miracle, did he kind of have an off day, (laughs) because he touched his eyes, and then, you know, the guy could see, you know, not very clear, and so he had to touch him again, Did, did he mess up, what? It's the only time in the gospels that we see that Jesus had to touch a person twice, and able for them to have their sight restored to full. But I don't think that's the case at all. I think there's something in that text for us to learn, and that is all of us, we were blind, weren't we? The God of this age, Satan, blinded our eyes, but then the Lord took that blindfold off as we came to him. And now we see. As that famous hymn, I was blind, but now I see. We see spiritually. But sometimes as we journey through life, we begin to develop an attitude towards others and and non-Christians or certain groups or individuals. And our hearts are hardened towards them. And we begin to lose that compassion. We begin to lose that concern for them. And the Lord has to touch us again. So we can see clearly the way that he wants us to see. So we can see people the way that God wants us to see them and have concern for them. And I pray in these days in which we are living in that we would have a compassion for the lost and a care for the lost. And I pray for us here at Calvary Chapel that we would have a concern for the lost and a care for the lost. You know what's been one of the most exciting things for me in the last month here is that, you know, we give opportunities for people to come to Jesus Christ at the services on Sunday morning. And for, you know, three weeks there, we had somebody raise their hand in the second service. But for about the last six weeks, either somebody's raised their hand or I get slips in the offering box and little prayer things of those perhaps in the coffee shop that mark... I gave my life to Jesus Christ today or I rededicated my life to Jesus Christ today. And that just brings joy to my heart and I hope it does for you too. And what I would ask of you guys is that every Sunday morning and even on Wednesday nights and as I look here, I I know you guys here tonight. But on Sunday mornings, there there are so many new people coming in. They don't know the Lord. We, We can't assume that everybody knows the Lord. And that you would pray, Lord, if there's anybody that comes to church, that they would hear the gospel, that they would open their hearts to you and surrender their lives to you. And as we pray those things, you're going to see the Lord, I believe, is going to bring people here. Because they're going to have opportunities to give their hearts to Jesus Christ as they come to Calvary Chapel. And I am so excited what the Lord is going to do in the rest of this year and into next year. I really believe that He's going to bring us people that don't know Him, that have opportunity to receive Him, and then those to grow in the Word of God and really be grounded in the Word of God. And that's what the Lord has really pressed on my heart. And I think we're just beginning to see that right now. People are giving their lives to the Lord. And they're doing it here in this place, in this little church. And I believe that God is doing it because he honors his word. You know, the psalm says in Psalm 137 that he honors his word above his name. And I really believe that as we're honoring the word of God and and teaching the word of God here, that's going forth in the services, that he's going to honor that, and he's going to bring those who need to hear the word of God, who desire to, to know the word of God. And even though we live in a day where the word of God is rare, just as it was in these days, There are still those who are looking for answers and those who are hungry. And I hope that you would pray for the radio program as we go on Grace FM later on this month. It's set to go on Christmas Eve when they switch it over. And I am so excited that that the teaching of the Word of God is going to go out to such a large area from Monument all the way up to Cheyenne. And I believe that God wants to pour out His Spirit in these last days. Before he comes back. So we need to be in prayer. And we need to be ready. And I hope and pray that we have a heart for the lost. And a heart for those who have been deceived. Or haven't been growing in the word of God. That this is a great opportunity for us to be able to minister to them. And give them truth. So, so here is, is his response. His response what was going to happen in verse 19 so Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord and so we see that here is Samuel he's established as the prophet there in the land and the Lord is speaking through Samuel and God's going to use Samuel as the leader now that is going to bring the word of the Lord to the nation. Chapter 4, and the word of the Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped besides Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Apex. So they're about 20 miles apart from each other. And we know that the Philistines at this time are the main enemies of Israel. So this is probably taking place after Samuel. And of course, it is in First Samuel that we see that the Philistines are the main enemies of Israel. We're going to see that Saul's going to be fighting the Philistines and David uh, is going to be fighting the Philistines continually. So they're about ready to go to war here. In verse 2, the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. So here Israel goes to war against the Philistines. Israel loses. 4,000 men are lost. They lose that battle. And so they're defeated. And so verse 3, And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So here they are defeated, and what amazes me here in verse 3 is they said, why has the Lord defeated us today? So what are they doing here? They're blaming God, aren't they? They're blaming God for their defeat. They have no clue that they're being defeated because their hearts are not right with the Lord, because they had rebelled against the Lord. And of course, as we've talked about repeatedly that the covenant that God had made with them, given to them over and over again, you rebel against me, you're going to be defeated by your enemies. If you follow after me, you're going to be blessed and you're going to defeat your enemies and you're going to have victory and things are going to be good. But because they were once in rebellion and in sin against the Lord, here they are defeated just as the Lord said was going to happen and they're blaming God. Now I'm sure that you've experienced this. I know that I've experienced this as a pastor. There are those that will come and they will talk to me, and they've been involved in sin, they're in rebellion, they they are doing what is wrong, and then they blame God for the consequences. They say, why did God allow this? Or why did this happen? And woe is me. They were involved in an adulterous relationship, and all of a sudden the world just blew up and their family fell apart and they lost their marriage. Or perhaps they did wrong at at work, something unethical, and they got fired. Or maybe they didn't take on the responsibilities that they were supposed to in their homes, and their homes are falling apart, whatever it might be, because they weren't walking in obedience, and they were walking in rebellion against the Lord, and we know that in the New Testament, of course, the Lord comes along and says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And if you sow seeds to the Spirit of the Spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. If you sow seeds to the flesh of the flesh, you'll sow corruption. That's a promise. And decisions that you make today, that I make today, that anyone makes today, we're, we are sowing seeds, and there's going to be a crop that's going to come up. And if we are sowing to the flesh, then of the flesh we're going to reap corruption. That is a promise. There's going to be consequences for that. And that's why it is a loving father that says, stay away from sin. Because it's going to devastate you and and bring terrible consequences and reper repercussions and and you're going to end up being discouraged and defeated and you see the enemy comes along and says if you get involved in that there'll be pleasure and you'll get ahead and it's okay and nobody will know about it and he's very good at deceiving people but the end of it is going to bring defeat and a crop of corruption now if you sow seeds to the spirit good things are going to happen there is blessing in walking in obedience to the lord There is blessing in desiring to do the will of the Lord. There is blessing as we just surrender our hearts to Him. doesn't mean that every day will be easy. But it means that God's going to honor that kind of heart and that kind of life. But if there is disobedience and rebellion, there's going to be consequences for that. And yet I've talked to people that they'll end up blaming God for it. When it's God that says, I want to bless you, but I cannot bless sin. And the scripture says that he doesn't have fellowship with darkness. Because God is light. And it breaks his heart when he sees someone who is walking in rebellion or doing what is wrong. It breaks his heart to see sin. And especially when a Christian begins to walk in sin. Or get involved in sin or begin to compromise. So here they are in their rebellion. They're blaming God. And so somebody comes up with this bright idea. Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there in verse 3 again. From Shiloh to us that when it comes among us it may save us from the hand of our enemies. Did you notice it? I mean, read that. Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant from the Lord. That when it comes... It may save us. They'd reduce God to an it. To a box. Let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. You guys know what the Ark of the Covenant is. That, that chest that was there in the Holy of Holies that was made of a of wood lined with gold. Just a box about three feet long by two feet. It had had two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments. It had... Aaron's rod and had a jar of manna on top of that chest was the mercy seat it was a lid made of pure gold very very heavy two cherubims and the Lord dwelt between the cherubims and that was the mercy seat and that's where the high priest would go in once a year on the day of atonement to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat to make atonement for the nation it was the most important furnishing there in the tabernacle I think most of us we saw the Indiana Jones movie you know the Raiders of the Lost Ark and you remember when it's being told to the government officials you know how powerful the ark is and lightning bolts come out and you know slays everything it wasn't that way at all. Hollywood got it wrong. This is the only time they brought the Ark of the Covenant out and a little look into the end of the chapter which we won't be able to finish tonight The Ark of the Covenant is going to be captured and Israel is going to be defeated soundly. There are people today that will trust in some kind of ritual, some kind of relic or something. Well, I got a rabbit's foot, or I got these crystals, you know, you talk to New Age people. I got this, you know, thing, or I got this cross or send me a prayer cloth, and I anointed it, and all these things, you know, that people will turn to relics, religion. The Lord just wanted relationship. He wanted relationship. My prayer for you, and as we end this year, and as we enter into the Christmas season into next year, is that you would grow in your relationship with the Lord. Let's go get it, and it will save us. And there are those who put their trust in in a ritual, and those who will put their trust in, in all kinds of different things, but they're not really trusting in the Lord. And the most important thing in our lives is your relationship with Him, and knowing Him, and loving Him, and hearing His voice. But they had lost that. Well, we'll get the Ark of the Covenant, and it will bring us victory. And even worse, verse 4, so the people sent to Shiloh, that they might bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who dwell between the cherubim and two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. So here you have the Ark that they get, and they want to bring it out, and they got who? Hophni and Phinehas, these two corrupt priests that are going to bring it out. And so verse 5, when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the Earth shook. So they had this big pep rally. And they got, you know, all jazzed up and this great yell and, and, and all of a sudden you see this great emotion but there was no devotion to the Lord. And sometimes Christians can kind of fall into that. Or they get all worked up and people get worked up and But there's no real devotion. Emotion's okay. But there's got to be devotion to God behind that. And that's what they're lacking. A couple more verses and then we'll be done. In verse 6, now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout of the camp of the Hebrews mean? They understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid for They said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us for such a thing has never happened before. And woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods, these that are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. And be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews. As they've been to you, conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. And there was a great slaughter, and there fell on Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. So the ark of God was captured, and two sons of Eli, Hopni, and Phineas. So the ark was captured. As they heard that the ark had come into the camp of Israel, the Philistines heard the shout. They said, Oh no, oh no. It, God has come into their camp. They had even a better understanding than the children of Israel. The children of Israel are calling it it. And they don't have a full understanding. They say, These are the gods that struck the Egyptians. I want to close with this. And then. Next week when we open up, there's some very important things here that we need to look at. We don't have time to go into tonight. But here's the thing. Here are the, the Philistines. 400 years after they came out of Egypt, they had known the stories of the Egyptians. How God had poured his wrath on them and the plagues and opened up the Red Sea. You re- remember in the book of Joshua... 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they come into the promised land. The first city that they're going to attack is Jericho. They send spies and there's Rahab who hides the spies. And you recall that it was Rahab that said, we heard what your God did to the Egyptians. We heard he parted the Red Sea. Your God is truly God. And she's recorded in the hall of faith because she made it personal. She she turned to the Lord. But here the Philistines... They heard of the miracles of God 400 years later. But do they surrender to the Lord? No. They should have waved a white flag right there and said, we surrender and we surrender to your God. But they didn't do that, even though they knew the miracles and heard the stories. And that's why it's so important that we pray for those whose hearts are hardened towards the Lord. Sometimes people say, if they just see a miracle, then then they'll believe. No, not necessarily. The Philistines knew of the miracles that had taken place. But they didn't surrender to the Lord. And that's why we need to pray for those who are unsaved. I think a lot of people know some kind of concept. Yeah, I know that Jesus died on a cross and he rose from the grave. I know that's what you Christians celebrate. But we need to pray, Lord, you touch their hearts with it. Take that blindness away from them. Soften their hearts. That they may be ones like Rahab. that will come and surrender their hearts to him rather than fight against him. And so we'll talk more about this next time. But I think that tonight, one of the things that we see how important it is that we be praying for the lost and that we be praying and discipling our children and ministering to them and how important it is for us to be walking in that obedience to the Lord because he desires to use us. He desires to use you. And to strengthen you, for you to fight in the spiritual war that we're in in this life. To take on the responsibilities in your families. And to look to those with wisdom and courage to be able to witness to them who are lost. So Father, we thank you for these lessons. We thank you for tonight. And Lord, we do remember the greatest miracle of all that took place. 2,000 years ago when your son went to the cross for us. And Lord, that's why we open up the communion table tonight. Because we, we come worshiping. We come to the table with communion with you. And remembering that Jesus allowed his body to be broken. And his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, as we hold these elements in our hands and just continue with worship, Lord, there will always be devotion and commitment and a heart of thanksgiving and just awe of what you have done for us. And I pray for us individually and for this church, especially this Christmas season, that we would have a heart for the lost. And Lord, that we pray for those that we know that we're working alongside of and going to school with and people in our families and those who live next to us that are lost. And Lord, we pray that the blindness would be taken away from them and their hearts would be softened and open to you. That we would be ones that we would give them truth. And we would give them the good news that Jesus came to this world as we talk about the one born in Bethlehem, but he came to die for them. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to to be a blessing to those in our lives. And, Lord, also, I just pray for all the parents that are here and grandparents, those who who minister to others at work. Lord, just help us to speak truth. And to take on the responsibilities that you've given to us. And Lord, I pray that we would be ones in the wisdom and words that we use. And Lord, we know that starts as we start our day with you and hearing the still small voice of the Lord. So Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had in your word. I pray that we would meditate on these things. But Lord, right now we just want to meditate on you as we open up the communion table and take of these elements. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.